today in the podcast, we have my friend, Dr. Andrew Knox. And Dr. Knox, we've gotten to know him because he is actually the doctor for my daughter, Autumn. And he is a pediatric neurologist. And so we've had the privilege of getting to know him over the last few years as he's taken such good care of Autumn with her epilepsy. And so I thought it'd just be great to invite Dr. Knox to come on the podcast and talk about intersections of faith and work, especially work in the realm of brain science and uh, how that connects to how he follows the Lord and thinks about things theologically when it comes to medicine and the brain and all this. So Dr. Knox, thanks so much for coming today. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So to start, just help us get to know you a little bit. Um, Tell us about your family, how long you've been in Madison, uh, where you go to church, just anything else you want to talk about. Sure. So I've been married for about 15 years now. Um, married to Laura Knox, who is fantastic. She is. We've got four kids, uh, Caleb, Karis, Daniel, and Liliana. They are eight, six, three, and about nine months. So it is usually a party in our house. <laughs> We've been there. Yeah, we've been there. Yeah, we've been here in Madison for almost four years now. Um, Laura and I both grew up around the Midwest. I was in central Illinois. She was Chicago suburbs. Uh, We met at school at University of Illinois, uh, then lived in Chicago for a while, did residency and a fellowship in Cincinnati, and then came here. Cool. So how do you feel about Madison since you've arrived? Oh, we've, we've loved the place. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. It's I grew up close to Champaign. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the same sort of feel of Champaign in here. Right, um, college town. You know, right, both college towns, Big Ten. Yep. Um, you know, there are a lot more nice bike paths here and the lakes and more yeah. skiing and that sort of thing. So yep. that's a plus. Yeah. But yeah, the, yeah, we've really enjoyed the city and our not planning on going anywhere else anytime soon. Well, that's great, man. We're thankful for that, just selfishly in our family. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you became a Christian. So were you raised in a Christian home, or is that something that um, you came to later in life? Or just tell us about that process and your testimony. Yeah, so that happened early on for me. Um, Both of my parents are Christians, both of them grew up in Christian families. They all sort of grew up in this um, small Mennonite farming community in central Illinois. Uh, my mom's dad was the pastor of the church they both grew up in for some, I don't know, 20, 30 years. So, yeah, and early on, you know, I heard that um, if you believe in Christ, that gives you a way to be right with God. And, you know, as a five-year-old, I was always worried about upsetting the people who are in charge of me. So, Mm. you know, the idea that I could be right with God by believing in Jesus sounded pretty appealing. Yeah. Um, So that drew me in. And then, you know, also the promise of a world that's bigger than the one that we live in, you know, that there's life after death. um, And that life is substantially better than this one was something that appealed to me as a five-year-old. So... That's how I got started in the faith and then just sort of steadily grew from there. Yeah. Yeah. I have a similar testimony. That's really good to hear. So let me ask you this. Why neurology? Like, how did you land there? And um, tell us about that journey. 
Yeah. So I did not plan on being a doctor when I was young. Starting, I don't know, five or six years old, I had planned on being an electrical engineer. Well, there's some overlap there, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> um, that lasted until I was about like 10. And then we got our first computer at home. And I was like, oh, this is even cooler. I'll be a computer engineer. Yeah. Yeah, stuck to that. Went to the University of Illinois. Uh, studied computer engineering there. Um, at the same time, was involved with um, I like a student ministry there and involved in our church there. So my junior year of college, some things happened to make me think that missions was actually like something I should pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, I became convinced that it was something that was important to God and yeah. not just something strange people do. Right. <laughs> so, so went to uh, Mexico for a couple months after my junior year of college. And came back from that trip thinking, you know, maybe I should be in a career that's at least more focused towards serving others. And, you know, maybe someday would have some um, capacity to do more things in missions and to be able to bring, you know, something useful to people in other parts of the world. I took a physiology class around that time. I liked it more than I remembered liking biology. And I had some good friends who were Christians and who were pre-med and were very excited about medicine as a way to... um, use science and reasoning and that sort of thing to, to serve people and to show them God's love. So that kind of, I, I caught that eventually and my senior year decided I would do medicine instead. I needed to make up some of the um, prerequisites uh, to go to medical school. So stayed on to the master's degree um, in engineering. They'd already let me in and given me a teaching assistantship for uh, computer engineering. So I did that, made up some of the pre-med classes, and then um, applied to medical school. Didn't get in the first time, got in the second time. So that's how I wound up in medicine. And at first I thought, well, you know, I'm probably just going to be doing something general practice, like family medicine or med-peds or something along those lines. Something that's, you know, useful in all sorts of different places, service-oriented, you know, facilitates doing missions and that sort of thing. Then I did some research after my first year of medical school with a uh, child neurologist um, and really enjoyed that experience, enjoyed the kids that I was working with as part Mm -hmm. of that project. So that probably planted some of the seeds for for neurology. And then, so in medical school in general, usually you start out doing classroom work for the first couple of years. And then your third year, you um, do different clinical rotations. So you see the main sort of specialties of medicine. Right. And that really gives you a sense of like what you might actually like doing. Right. So as part of that, I liked being around. I've always liked kids. I enjoyed the rotation, uh, the pediatrics rotations uh, where I was seeing other kids. Um, Enjoyed my neurology rotation with adults, which I hadn't really had much exposure to before. And some of that probably is, you know, seeing parallels between like how the brain works and um, how computers work. Yeah. So, so that kind of pulled me in. And at that point I thought, all right, well, I like kids. I like neurology. I should try to see what child neurology is actually like. So did a rotation in that and loved it. And in the end, yeah, felt that God was calling me to be involved in that part of medicine. So that's how I wound up there. And it's been, I have to say, really cool to see how, as I've moved on and that God has used the engineering background that I've had before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've wound up being involved with uh, some research 
using computer models to better understand how seizures happen, how they start, how you can treat them with medications. Um, that's something I never could have planned up front, sure. but you know, after I was 10 years into the medical process, I realized, oh, this engineering background is actually really useful for this sort of thing. And I get to do stuff that I find really fulfilling that, you know, uses a lot of different things that I've learned and kind of the natural way I think about stuff to, to hopefully make things better for patients who have epilepsy. Yeah. So is epilepsy the main realm of what you deal with on a day-to-day basis? Are there other things uh, related to pediatric neurology that you um, have an emphasis in? There, there are certainly other things I deal with too, or other things that fall under child neurology. Uh, epilepsy is the main focus of my practice. So I did a one-year fellowship in epilepsy and reading okay. EEGs, which have the brainwave tracings. Yep. Um, but, you know, we see patients with headaches, with movement disorders like tics. We get involved if there are things like brain tumors, um, problems with muscle function, weakness, that kind of thing. Yep developmental delays. So there's a variety of stuff that we do. Yeah. So I want to go back. You said you, you, um, did not get into medical school the first time. Yeah. And that must've been hard for you. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, cause I think, uh, my wife, she did a, a semester of medical school, but if my memory serves and she'll be sure to correct me if it, my memory does not serve me well, uh, she didn't get in the first time, but got in the second time. And that was, you know, kind of traumatic because you <laughs> see yourself as, um, you know, like I would imagine most people that go to medical school, a lot of people at least, you know, they're they're used to success and they always did well in school and they get A's. And then all of a sudden I didn't get in. That's really hard. And it, I would imagine that would take some perseverance to to get back on the horse and, and try it again. Like, what was that yeah. like for you? Yeah, that was, you're you're absolutely right. So, you know, medical school is very competitive. Getting into it, there's just so many people who want to do it, and there are so few spots. So you kind of know going in that that's a definite possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped, I think, knowing that this was something that God had called me to. Mm-hmm. So if you feel convinced of that, it's easier if you don't get in to say, all right, well, I'll keep trying because I think this is what he wants me to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, at the, after the first time not getting in, you can see some reasons like why it probably happened. You know, I was a late switch from engineering to, to medicine stuff. I didn't have a lot on my um, resume as far as like volunteering with medical organizations or, you know, a lot of medical background. So I kind of built some of that up over the next year. Um, you know, the next year I applied, I still didn't get in outright. Wow. Waiting list. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I had come to, all right, I, I think this is what God wants me to be doing. You know, now I've been rejected twice, so that raises some question, but sure. I'll give it one more try. And then if it doesn't happen again, I'm going to say, okay, this, I, <laughs> Closed door. I must have had something else in mind. I'll do something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I got called in off the wait list. So, yep. you know, there was 
Uh, one of the doctors in our church, when I was going through that process, he and his wife had been sort of pillars of the church we were in for a long time. And he had helped out some with um, like letting me do some shadowing and giving some advice with applications and that sort of thing. So when I got in, he said, all right, now remember, this is how you know God has called you through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> remember mm-hmm. that every day you go to work. Yeah, amen. And that was helpful advice because there are a lot of things that are challenging about this job. Yeah, You sort of assume a job in medicine is always going to feel fulfilling, and right. that's not necessarily the case on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So, so that how... has served as a good marker in life to look back to and remember this is something that God has given me to do. Yeah. Amen. Now, how old were you when you finished all of your formal training and you were done with any type of schooling? uh, So that would have been when I came here to take this position. And let's see, how old am I now? (laughs) I would have been about 33, I think. Yeah. I always have just such deep respect for people. And we've met a lot of people like you at the Vine over the years that persevere with education that long, you know, like that's, that's a long haul. That's true. You know, part of it is because I think we tend to enjoy it. Yeah. So, you know, learning new stuff is always interesting. It's always, I enjoy getting a bigger picture of, of the world we live in, the world God's created and knowing more about it. So, you know, it never feels like a big drag to, continue learning stuff. Yep. Yep. What do you think, Dr. Knox, is, how how do you think about like doing your job to the glory of God? Um, What does that mean for you? Uh, There are a couple of different ways you can think about that, I guess. Um, When I was a kid, we had... uh, there were these these tapes I had that helped with like Bible memory. There were the GT and the Halo Express. There were these stories wow. or whatever. I'm not familiar. Cassette tapes they're, though. They're really good. I'll send one of them to you sometime. Cassette they're tapes. They're very 80s, but you know you can forgive that. Um, they were they were cassette tapes though. Yep, they're cassette tapes. Wow, I don't even yeah. know if I have something to that would play that. Well, I I have MP MP4s of them. Oh, now. great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So one of them uh, had the verse Colossians 3.23. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Is working for the Lord, not for man. Um, right. And you get the sort of the same kind of thing, I think, in First uh, Corinthians 7, maybe. You know, Paul talks about um, being content in the situation where God's put you and effectively serving him in that situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think anything you're doing, you can do for the purpose of serving God. Right. Um, And so that's been helpful through all of life. I think and thinking about what I'm doing, whether it's school or extracurricular stuff, I enjoy music stuff and, you know, doing those things, Um, raising a family, working here, like all of that, falls under whatever you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord. For so, sure. So that's an overarching idea of what it looks like to serve God here. Um, I went to medical school at Rush in Chicago and on their wall going in um, past, you know, the first floor elevators, 
Uh, they have a big plaque thing that in Latin says uh, ministry by science. Hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly how to say the Latin words, so I won't embarrass myself with that. Um, but I think that's another big way I look at what I'm doing here and how it is in the service of God. You know, seeing patients is a kind of ministry. People have, you know, they come here because they're sick in some way, or at least worried that they're sick. Um, and right. I can address those needs using right. what I've known and what I've learned. And, um, yeah, that's, that's part of serving them is part of how I serve God too in this place. Amen. Yeah. One of the ways I think about it for medical professionals is the human body. God said is really, really good. And he loves mm -hmm. it. You know, Genesis one doctrine of creation. Um, and so when we value what he values and care for what he cares for, um, that's good. Yeah. And, and that, that glorifies him when we align yep. ourselves with the things that he says that he loves. And yep. hum, human creation is obviously, it's the thing that he said is very good, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, or just for you, like, or anybody, but especially for you when you're caring for people like our family in these moments of crisis, you know, where it's like, I don't know if my daughter has a brain tumor mm -hmm. or has, you know, some type of a cancer. And we don't know what the seizure means, and you um, walk us through that with compassion and listening. Man, that that glorifies the Lord, and and you have done that. And so I, I'm just so thankful. Thanks for that. You know, we've really, really appreciated it. I mean, I've been in medical situations where you can tell that there isn't an alignment and valuing of what God loves and what He values in a crisis kind of moment, and um, it's really hard. You know, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So how Yeah, it's good. I mean, the stuff you're saying is absolutely right. You know, God created everything perfect, right? And then we believe that when sin happened, that's when disease and death came into the world. Right. We're promised that in the long term that will go away at some point, that God will make a new heaven and new earth, and those Amen. things will be things of the past. Amen. So it's fun in the meantime to be a part of fighting against some of that stuff. Yes. Sin and death and sickness. Yep. Yep. And Amen. Yeah. Pushing life to being a little more like God had intended it to be in the first place. Yep. Do you ever get concerned about um, medical technology and thinking about the ethical challenges that that might create in the future? <laughs> like, is that something that you and your colleagues talk about much or is that kind of more out there, like like um, I'm in the daily grind of seeing patients and trying to help kids with seizures, um, but like I can, you know, there's Elon Musk is is talking about um, ways with this technology called um, Neuralink. Have you heard of this? Uh, I think I saw something in passing about it. Yeah, but I mean, it just raises a bunch of questions about, you know, how humans might operate in the future and the power of the brain and how that can interact with machines. To me, it little sounds a little bit like the Terminators are coming. You know <laughs> what I mean? I'm dating myself a little bit there. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, The Terminator, it's, you know, the machines versus the human beings. Yeah, yeah. Or the Matrix, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So have you, I'm just curious, like, um, is that something that you spent much, much time thinking about or having conversations with others about? 
Well, I, we all think about those things from time to time, I think. You know, it's work is always busy, so there's always a lot of other stuff going on to talk right. about, too. Um, yeah, you know, there usually aren't planned lectures about that sort of thing. There might sure. be rare ones. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, people have, you know, technology is, um, is a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not necessarily good or bad. It can be used for both. So there are enormously useful things you can do with medical technology. So we're not reading people's thoughts at this point, or people are not like flying planes with their brains right now. Right. You know, but for patients who have drug resistant epilepsy, uh, there are some who do benefit from um, like occasionally we will implant a device that sort of records continuously from a part of the brain um, and sometimes stimulates that part of the brain if they're having seizures. And that sort of stimulation can stop seizures or make them happen less often over time. So, you know, in a lot of ways, that's a more developed version of what some of the stuff Elon Musk is talking about. Like, you know, he'd implanted a um, microchip in a pig or something, but yeah. we do stuff like that in humans to some extent, you know, what we do with that information is, um, not very elaborate. We just look at it to see if there are seizures or not. And, you know, the device occasionally can stimulate on the basis of some of that information, but you have the start there of putting something that is a computer in a person that's, that is there all the time doing its thing. So once you've done that, you have the capacity to make life a lot better for someone, you know, in our case by controlling seizures, Yeah. but potentially there's the, uh, or there's the potential for abuse there too. Right. For sure. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it'd be hard to do anything really bad with that kind of a device, but you know, you can imagine future iterations where that sort of thing is like, tied into the internet somehow and right you know so it's not like what people do with that kind of thing it's not like elon musk is the keynote speaker at your like national pediatric uh, neurology conference right, right. <laughs> but i would imagine like especially in your realm of expertise you know in in 30 years or 40 years if you're still doing pediatric neurology like the technology will just be completely oh different you know? yeah yeah. And that's got to be a challenge for you, I would imagine, to keep up on all that stuff. Like, do you just have to do continual, uh, continual, continuing education? And is that just? Yeah, well, you know, it helps, again, that I like learning. Mm -hmm. And most of the people who wind up in this scenario like learning stuff. Yep. You know, part of what's fun about my job is I get to do research stuff, too. So, and inherently in doing that, you learn a lot just about what what's going on in you know, around the world with yeah. new technologies and that sort of thing. So the job, I think, makes it easier to sort of keep up with all the different things that are happening. Mm -hmm. um, you do always have to keep learning, but it, it's not like you have no tools to help you do that. Right. It's not like you wake up one day and you're like, this just struck me. I never knew that this was happening and I got to catch up and, you know, right. yeah. That's right. good. And you're in the industry. It's just like if you keep keep up with the software updates on your computer, you know, it doesn't get, it's not yeah. that jarring unless you're jumping updates, you know, 
every 10 years, <laughs> but that's right, not going to happen right, for you. Right. Let me you ask you this. You finally put away your, your Apple II and now yeah, you're going exactly. <laughs> My Apple II GS. Um, yeah, I had one of those too. Oh yeah, they were slick back in the day. I remember that. That was fantastic. Yeah, yep. I remember thinking how fast that was. Oh man. Yep, yep. 16-bit colors, <laughs> cutting edge. So um, do you remember, I'd love to just hear if you could explain, and maybe you won't be able to remember anything, but um, if you could explain in layman's terms, I'd love to hear maybe, like, was there ever a moment in you, in your development as becoming a pediatric neurologist and you're studying how the brain really works and the intricacies of it all and where you were just kind of struck with, wow, this brain that God has made is so amazing. And it, were there, were, did you ever have any moments like that in your training, either med school or fe- residency or? You know, I think that was always in the back of my mind somewhere, even before I was interested in medicine. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the more you learn about it, the more you can appreciate how amazing it is and how little we understand about how it actually works. Um, at some point, I think in college, I do remember thinking just, you know, this, this is the most interesting thing in the whole world. Like this is, you know, if you believe in a spiritual realm, if you believe that people have spirits or souls or that sort of thing, like, this is the place where that interfaces with the physical world. Mm -hmm. And how does that work? People can't explain that. Right. I mean, there are some explanations you can give, but I don't find any of them to be particularly complete. Or satisfactory. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm right. Again, you know, being an engineer and a neurologist, both of those professions, you have a tendency to love puzzles. Mm -hmm. So, that is probably what sucked me into doing what I am now. Um, yeah, the brain is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So how does your faith, um, let me say it like this. Are there any challenges with being a Christian and being a pediatric neurologist that you've run into? Um, I'm trying to think if there are any that are specific to being a pediatric neurologist. There are a lot of challenges that go with being a Christian in general. For sure. Um, You know, maybe a Christian working in an academic setting, there are challenges that go with that, I suppose. Um, You know, the... Most of the scientific field has taken for granted at this point that um, there is not a God or that things came about sort of by random chance and through evolution and that sort of thing. So if you are, um, it makes it a little more difficult, I think, to talk about some of the things that we're talking about with them. You know, there's, there's a lot that they're taking for granted, um, that we disagree on. And Mm -hmm. so for this to make sense, then you have to talk about that, all that stuff with people. Yep. Um, there are, there are sometimes perhaps things I would, 
sometimes I see problems in the child neurology clinic, um, you know, that are not just neurologic problems, right? So not seizures, but things that stem out of people's psychology and their backgrounds and life choices and worldview and the way they see themselves and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So I do see problems from time to time where I'm thinking, you know, as I'm talking to a person, the real solution to a lot of these problems you're having would be to have a different worldview yeah, um, or to, um, yeah, to know who God is and to know how he sees you and to know what he says are the right ways in which to live your life. Yeah. Um, but when you're, you know, seeing the child neurologist for an hour, sometimes it's not feasible to work through all that stuff. Um, and in some cases, I mean, especially if people come in with a differently aligned worldview, you know, a lot of times it's probably not appropriate to go into some of those things where, you know, you're going to differ and the way you talk about something like that. Sure. Sure. There are ways in which you can do it to some extent, but there are a number of times where I think I can't really give you the things that are going to be the solution to some of the problems you're having. I think that's a challenge I come up against sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. And that's where you as a pastor have a lot more liberty to, to give people those things. Sure. For sure. Right. And right. And the thing that it is helpful for me knowing too, that there are pastors who are out there who do have that liberty and, you know, it's not necessarily always my job to offer that to people. Sure. My job is to see them in the capacity of a child neurologist. Yep. Yep. And to whatever extent it's feasible or useful, potentially offer those things too. Well, Dr. Knox, this has been a really good conversation and we so appreciate you coming in and chatting with us about what it means to be a doctor to the glory of God. And so, man, we wish nothing but the best for you. And uh, again, thanks for your time today. I'm happy to do it. We love you guys too. And yeah, we're glad that you're a part of our lives. All right, Dr. Knox, we'll be in touch, okay? All right, sounds great. Thank you.